G'day and welcome to The Motor Show. I'm Toby Hagen. And I'm Bruce Newton. This week we're looking at two iconic French brands trying to make a comeback in Australia. We'll also look at the latest and greatest from two big motor shows, one in New York, the other in Shanghai. First up though, is the news. And Bruce, this week we've heard Peugeot and Citroën are trying to effectively relaunch in Australia. They've obviously had a pretty challenging decade or so, sales heading in the wrong direction, and now they're saying they want to fight back. Yeah, it was only, I think, 10 years ago that Peugeot had their record sales in Australia, but you're absolutely right. They've been through changes of distributorship, trying to figure out their uh, their direction. Um, I think French brands in Australia have always had a bit of a drama with uh, support from head office, not quite getting the cars you need for Australia, automatics and things like that. But, yeah, tell us all about it, Tobes. You were at a function during the week to line this all out, weren't you? I was, yeah. Uh, and, look, you're right in terms of they just haven't had the product, particularly recently. And those automatic transmissions, it might sound like a small thing, but they acknowledge now that, yeah, that has been an issue. It's been a challenge. Uh, but look, the new or relatively new managing director, Ben Farlow, obviously the boss of both both brands, now imported by uh, Inchcape, the same uh, company that looks after Subaru in Australia. So they have some pretty major aspirations. I think the most interesting takeout I got out of it was they actually have a long-term vision, a, a, a sort of um, a, a future for the brand in terms of where they want to position it. So instead of just saying, here's a European brand, come and buy it, they're saying we expect Citroen, for example, to be more about comfort, the best ride quality out there. So in some ways, going back to its roots, they don't expect to be massive sellers. They're not going to go taking on Toyota tomorrow, but uh, they do obviously want to tick up from where they are now, which in, in Citroen's case, you're talking about a few hundred sales for, for the year. So mm. they've got a long way to go. Peugeot, look, keep in mind, Peugeot obviously was once known for building extremely reliable cars and obviously durability, all of, all of which was put to the test. They won the first round Australia trial in 1953. They backed it up a few years later with another one. Um, but he basically said Peugeot has lost its mojo. They were his exact words. So, right. um, so yeah, look, it's, uh, they want to obviously push forward and try to set those brands up, as I said, about being a little bit different. And um, they think now the product's coming good. They reckon some of the stuff around the GFC, the, the cutback in research and development um, after the global financial crisis didn't help. But you have to say the rot was setting in even before that. Um, as you said, they just they didn't quite get what Australians wanted. They were too focused on the European market, particularly the French market, and um, the rest of the world didn't really matter. Yeah, PSA is a very different company now, the, the overarching Peugeot Citroën conglomerate to what it was. Obviously, they now have taken over Opel, Vauxhall as well. They have a more global attitude to things. So... Um, is hoping for the best, but no one's guaranteed survival in the Aussie car market. You've got to, you've got to be competitive in all facets. So um, they've got a way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting that they're bringing out some obviously got some interesting new cars. The five hundred eight um, midsize sedan. They announced the pricing fifty four grand, which is sort of I don't know. It sort of straddles. It's it's up to the top end of things like Volkswagen Passat, Mazda six, but obviously undercuts a lot of the Europeans, um, BMW three series, Mercedes C class, and so on. But Geez, I just don't know how a car like that's going to go in terms of outright sales. Um, it, it's not a big market, is it? That whole market's dropping off massively at the moment. Spot on. If I was trying to relaunch in Australia and was building it around a large sedan, I'd be, um, yeah, I'd be 
getting sent for some low volumes. Put it that way. They really need SUVs. Well, they do. But does. Look, and one trucks. area I think will help grow their sales enormously is like commercial vehicles. They're bringing out three vans. Um, all of them are going to have autonomous emergency braking standard. Um, so that's actually pretty cool stuff. Although it's only, it only operates up to 30 kilometers an hour. So it's very low speed. Stuff only uses a camera rather than a camera and radar. Mm. But uh, I guess uh, something's better than nothing. All right. Okay, mate, let's move on. Talking about brands relaunching or having their dramas. Genesis in Australia. And there's another, yet another chapter in the story of the of the struggle to get this brand off the ground, Toby. Yeah, there is. Look, it's been delay after delay for this brand. Um, you know, they've been talking about it for more than two years now. And every time just about you talk to them, it's been delayed another couple of months. They're now saying on sale in June, but it's looking like going on sale without a managing director, without a boss, um, at least in Australia. The local boss, Peter Evans, uh, a veteran of the industry, been around for a long time, obviously working previously at Toyota and Lexus and at Hyundai uh, before he started at Genesis. Uh, And, yeah, he's decided to pull the pin for whatever reason. We don't quite know the details. It's all happened pretty quickly, but um, Peter is leaving the building. Yeah, it's... uh... Yeah, that's not a good sign. We will uh, watch with interest there, mate. But moving on, uh, motor shows. We've had a couple in the last few days start to uh, roll out some new metal, both Shanghai and New York. Maybe we start at Shanghai. Now, you and I have both been here in the past. I've got fond memories of wandering around the Shanghai Motor Show with you and talking to talking to various Chinese brands who would swear black and blue they'd be in Australia within two years. I think most of them were out of business in two years. But anyway, never mind. Um <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a wacky place, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, there's uh, um, a lot of bold claims go on, and, and I think about three <laughs> percent of them come to uh, come to fruition. But look, one of the obviously you get the Chinese brands, of which there are hundreds, literally, and and the vast majority you've never heard of. But uh, obviously, the the mainstream car makers take it pretty seriously these days. That motor show. If you think about it, what 10, 12 years ago it was almost nowhere. Now it's one of the big motor shows. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, Audi was one of the interesting ones. They did a little thing called the AI.me or ME. Yep. Uh, obviously, AI, talking about artificial intelligence. And um, But, look, the interesting thing with this was inside, it actually had real plants. It looked like um, <laughs> looked like a futuristic greenhouse of some sort. And it had, they said the roof was a pergola, so it had these wooden slats on the roof. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure entirely that'll take off. It's... Uh, so it gives you a new uh, meaning in terms of uh, vehicle maintenance, doesn't it? You've got to go and um, do the pruning and so on. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, look, at the other end of the scale, Lexus. I don't know if you saw that Lexus LM people I mover. So I based have. on the Toyota Alphard, which is a, a three-row three-row seat people mover, predominantly for the, the uh, Asian markets. Um, obviously, the Toyota itself is a pretty challenging-looking vehicle, a big grill. But crikey, Lexus has taken that to extremes and just put this hideous grill on the front of it it's an absolute shocker they are absolutely committed to that spindle grill aren't they and this is the most dramatic crazy version of it yet yeah well it's just it's it's so big it's massive um and the interesting thing is obviously based on a people mover it looks like a people mover pretty unsexy outside you get inside it's only got four seats it's um effectively like business class seating inside and it's, it's all designed for obviously rich people to travel in the back seat uh, fortunately, though, it's not coming to Australia, Bruce, but one car that is, um, or apparently is, we're going on these bold claims, obviously. Yes, obviously. Um, the MG EZS, uh, an electric vehicle, and they're talking a pretty bold price, Bruce. They are. Well, this car actually wasn't unveiled at Shanghai. It was, it was unveiled at Guangzhou last November, uh, but at uh, Shanghai this week, uh, it was confirmed to the travelling Australian press there that 
The intention is to launch this vehicle in Australia. It's called the MG EZS, so it's based on the smallest ZS SUV that MG sells in Australia. 45.5 kilowatt-hour battery, which is reasonable size, reasonably sizable. A 330-kilometre range on NEDC rating. It'll be less on WLTP, the new system they use in Europe. But it's the price that's the big thing, potentially. Um, the reports are varying, but... Low as $30,000 plus on roads. Now, for a, an electric vehicle, a small SUV with a reasonable range, that really resets the bandwidth, doesn't it, in Australia? That could actually attract a bit oh, of attention. I agree 100%. I mean, this is the thing. Chinese car makers in, in some ways are at the... Well, they're, they're almost leading the way a little bit on the electric vehicle uptake. They I mean, are. they buy more electric vehicles than any other country in the world. Um, they obviously mm. produce a lot of them, and a lot of people think obviously Tesla's a big car maker. But in recent years, BYD, the other another Chinese brand, has outsold or outproduced uh, Tesla in terms of electric vehicles. So they're hugely advanced on this, and they're also pushing ahead massively with battery technology. Um, and I think, as you said, I mean, a forty-four and a half kilowatt-hour battery for less than thirty grand, that really has the potential to change perceptions. And suddenly, you're playing in that market where there's so much volume. You've got small cars, you've got small SUVs, mid-sized SUVs. So um, I think it'll be really interesting if they can get it in at that price, and that's a big if. We've heard, obviously, claims like this before. I remember, well, it would have been eight or nine years ago now, um, one of the Chinese brands saying, yeah, we'll have one on sale as well for 20-odd grand, I think it was. So um, that never happened. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And interestingly, in Australia, it comes as the Chinese start to gain a little bit of traction here the market's down generally but the chinese brands are up over 100 percent sales wise year over year now the volumes are still tiny but they are starting to make ground um, occasionally g on the road now anyway moving on to another chinese brand great wall this is scomo's you this is the one <laughs> this is the savior yeah. so it could be the first serious player from China in the Birmingham Aussie Ute market that isn't purely price dependent. It was, it's the it would replace the Steed in twenty twenty. It's they're offering petrol, diesel, possibly EV, both battery and fuel cell options, and urban urban and heavy duty off road versions. Lots left to learn about it, but it looks promising. It could well it will be here in some form in the not too distant future, and yeah. The Chinese are going to attack this part of the market just like they're attacking every other part. This could be a breakthrough vehicle too in a different sort of way. It could. I think it's still got a lot to prove. You need, obviously, in that market, two of the most important things are durability and capability. If it doesn't have them, people will just go back to highlights and ranges. And and really, it needs to to be able to cope with uh, the worst we can throw at it. So um, you'd have to say they probably need to come and do some testing and development in Australia, make sure it's got that uh, that capability so that um, when it's unleashed, it uh, does live up to expectations. Absolutely. So let's move on to New York, cover off a couple of the highlights from there. Um, Cadillac CTS sedan's been replaced by a hatchback called the CT5, and this car has some pretty strong Australian connections, mate. It does, yeah. Designed by um, the head of Cadillac Design, or, or under his guidance, Andrew Smith, former Holden designer, and obviously his boss being Mike Simcoe, um, another former, former Holden designer, former chief of Holden Design. Um, so they've tried something a little bit different, as you say, a hatchback style, liftback style, rear end on it instead of your classic sedan. Not entirely unusual in that top-end market. We've seen Audi A7, obviously Peugeot 508, even the Holden Commodore. The current Holden Commodore um, obviously has that sort of style as well. <laughs> and look, Holden previously, under the guidance of both Andrew Smith and, and Mike Simcoe, has obviously looked at this sort of thing in the past. 
A um, couple of concept cars to remember, the, uh, the SX, SSX concept and the yep. TT36 concept, the Tirana TT36, yes. that bright pink thing. Um, you'd have to say almost they were a tiny bit ahead of their time. Yes, so look, the interesting thing here is Andrew Smith, um, who's, who's a great guy and a very talented designer who we both know well, he's copying a bit of a flack at the moment. The US media aren't all that impressed with the direction of Caddy Design, so he, he's under a bit of pressure. Um, it be interesting to see what their reaction to the CT5 is. Yeah, I'm not entirely sold on the C-pillar, sort of around that back door area. They've tried something a bit different and not entirely convinced, but uh, who knows, it might grow on us. So something uh, probably more significant for Australia from a sheer moving the metal sense is the new Toyota Kluger, large, light-duty SUV. Toyota sells, well, just under a 1,000 per month on average in, a, in Australia, which is an amazing achievement for what is a two-ton petrol-powered, you mm. know, fuel-sucking SUV. They, they do pretty well on that. This is, uh, it, despite appearances, which is pretty evolutionary in design based on the photography this is actually an all-new vehicle like uh, it's got uh, it's based on the same fundamental architecture as the camry and the rav4 it's longer outside there's more room inside there's going to be a petrol electric hybrid version alongside the uh, petrol v6 so you couldn't have a clue without a petrol v6 i guess so like that that vehicle's due in australia in 2020 um and no doubt it will find a substantial audience. Well, and, and yeah, and it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how the, the hybrid version goes. Obviously, Toyota's been very aggressive with uh, pricing of hybrids, particularly Camry hybrids. If they can get a similar sort of uh, dynamic going between the regular and the, and the hybrid that they have with the, the Camry, I think it could be a real dark horse from that thing. I think it'll pr- probably go pretty well. Mm, absolutely. Uh, at the other end of the scale in New York, the Hyundai Venue Mini SUV. That's going to be here quarter three of 2019. Now, this is uh, a Mazda CX-3 arrival. Uh, It'll replace the Accent sedan and hatch in the Hyundai lineup. Like They'll sell it side by side for a little while, and then the Accent will get phased out. Just reflects the facts of what's going on in the Australian market, I guess, as we all buy SUVs. Starting price well below $20,000, a 1.6-litre petrol engine with a choice of six-speed manual or auto. One thing I noted about this thing being, I'll put my hand up as a Mazda CX-3 owner myself, this thing's got a sizable boot, <laughs> and that's one advantage straight away. Indeed, and hopefully some more backseat room as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, look, obviously, it's a big play for them, uh, effectively, as you say, replacing Accent, um, which is one of the massive sellers in that, that Hyundai range. They need that price leader. It's always been uh, one of their most important cars. Um, for me, the most interesting thing will be what they're doing with interiors and stuff with this car. I think Hyundai interiors have been a bit underdone recently, and they need to step it up. So hopefully they can do it with this one. Mm, so there was a bunch of other things rolled out in New York. Porsche 911 Speedster, uh, the new Mercedes-Benz GLS got shown, and even more DLC. powerful versions. Oh, GLS, yeah, and GLC, yeah. Yep, yep, and more powerful. And that, that GLC's got a bit more power, just what it needs. <laughs> and there are 50th anniversary versions of both the Nissan GDR and 370Z. But i got to stress, the current cars aren't 50 years old, even though, especially in the 370Z's case, it feels like it's <laughs> Well, even the GDR's starting to feel old. I mean, that GDR's well over 10 years old now, and um, 370Z, as you say, is feeling tired. They need to do something to those cars, but... Um, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot in terms of all new versions over the next year or two. Yeah, I get the feeling at the moment Nissan's got its mind in other places. Like, you know, there's a 
There's a certain Brazilian-born executive locked up in jail up there in Tokyo right now. They might be thinking more about that and how they're going to restructure themselves. Anyway, we move on, mate, from the politics to the driving. Indeed, and this week we've got uh, a pretty diverse trio, starting with something that we touched on earlier, obviously, Peugeot and Citroën. This week I was lucky enough to get behind the wheel of one of their important new models, the C3 Aircross, small SUV, so goes up against that... um, uh, Mazda CX-3, Hyundai Kona, HRV, Toyota CHR, those sorts of vehicles. But it's a bit more expensive than those. They're doing a um, one-size-fits-all strategy. So there's only one model, 32990 for that car. 1.2-litre, three-cylinder turbocharged engine. Front-wheel drive only. Um, look, the engine, obviously on paper, it doesn't look particularly healthy. 81 kilowatts of power. But really, it's the torque that makes this engine stand out. It's a terrific little engine that we've seen in Peugeot's previously, even the 308, um, we've seen it in Citroën's previously, and it works really nicely in this car too. You don't have a whole lot of power, probably not surprising given that 81 kilowatts, but the 205 newton metres of torque, that kicks in from just 1,500 revs. So you have this enormous pulling power down quite low, keeping in mind, obviously, it's quite a light car, so it doesn't have a whole lot to move around. So look, it's no fireball, but um, it's certainly an enjoyable little car that zips around town pretty nicely. And uh, and still holds its own absolutely fine on a freeway, so you can um, you can cruise along at uh, 110 without a problem, which is all pretty good going. The rest of the car, well, obviously it looks innovative. They've got some interesting stuff going on. If you look at the the very rear windows on the side of the car, they've got these stripes down them, these sort of coloured stripes down them, um, which aren't stickers. You sort of look at it and think, oh, that looks like stickers, but they're actually built into it because it's not glass it's plastic so they've used plastic on the side of it to reduce weight and obviously get a bit of that design stuff going as well um it gets that aeb that we touched on before with the uh the peugeot light commercials um and again it runs only off uh, only off camera not off radar so it's limited to 30 kilometers an hour so if this car is ever tested by australasian ncap the new car assessment program independent crash tested it won't be eligible for five stars because it doesn't have that 80 kilometre an hour AEB system. So that's a bit disappointing. Um, look, as I said, front wheel drive only, so that limits its appeal in some ways, although that's pretty common in that end of the market. Inside, um, yeah. yeah, it's, I don't know, one of the things I struggle with, the infotainment <laughs> systems, um, they try to pack too much in. So it looks good. You sort of look mm. at it and think, well, that's good. But things like the... Um, uh, the ventilation system, you have to press a button and go into a menu just to, to adjust the temperature in the cabin, which just doesn't work. It's uh, a bit hopeless in Australia where you want to dial up the, um, the fan pretty quickly. Um, and the seats, the seats are a bit, bit naff, I reckon. The, the back seats are actually unique to Australia. They had to, um, they, they couldn't meet the regulations for, for whatever reason with the uh, back seats that come overseas. So they had to put in unique ones for Australia. And they're not that comfortable in the rear. And the fronts, even the fronts, they're, they're sort of soft. They just don't have enough support, which is interesting because Citroen's trying to push down that path. And when they were talking up the C5 Aircross, the bigger version of this, the, the sort of mid-sized one, uh, they really touched on the seats a lot and said how they've done a lot of work on them. So if they can inject something like that into the C3 Aircross, it'll be a big step up. But at the moment, it's a good car. It's not a terrific car, and it obviously comes with a price premium. So, did you say it's a $32,990 CX3 rival? Yeah, which you can get for it's what? It's not a CX3 grand. rival, then, is it? <laughs> that's not a CX3 rival. No, that's right. Like, Pro- their chances of, they're going to have to, the rusted on French 
SUV lovers are going to be buying that one. So that's that's three sales accounted for. Um, so let's go from let's go from something small and relatively inoffensive to something loud and uh, yeah, offensive. quite intrusive. <laughs> um, and I'm not talking about me there. Uh, had a chance this week to drive um, uh, a car called the Jaguar XE SV Project Eight. So what this thing is is it's based on an XE uh, sedan, Jaguar XE sedan, compact medium, small, medium, whatever you want to call it, three-series size sedan. They've stuffed a 441-kilowatt supercharged V8 in the thing. It's all-wheel drive. Uh, it's got heaps of carbon fibre and lightweight aluminium. It's built, hand-built, um, yeah, top speed of 320 kilometres an hour, so goes like stink. But here's the, the, um, the, the rub here. Just 300 examples are being built. They're exclusively left-hand drive, so you can't drive it on the road in Australia, but it's on sale in Australia. So you can buy the base model, base model, for three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Then you can pay an extra twenty-four thousand dollars and have the rear seats ripped out and some racing seats put in the front. So for three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you get a um, you get a two-seat XEV8. Um, but this yeah, this anyway, sounds so. like it's not hasn't got a whole lot to do with an XE other than it vaguely looks like one. But the panels and everything are unique to this car, yeah. Pretty much the body is 75% new, so only the roof and the door skin stay the same. Uh, so, yeah, so look, this is a so SVO is like um, a Jags uh, AMG or um, M division, uh, and this car is like the very top of their range. Like they build it, they were going to do a, a disco, a discovery for for uh, Land Rover that um, had a similar sort of concept, but they got canned when they lost all that money the last quarter of last year. So anyway. So 350 uh, odd grand. Like? Yeah. Is it quick? What's it like? <laughs> okay. Well, spectacular actually, because it's almost a race car. You know, it's it's very quick and precise steering. It's got massive stopping power. The engine felt strong. It was pulling 220K up the back straight at Sandown. A lot of fun to drive. And, um, and, you know, even Tony Dalberto, the touring car racer, was sit riding shotgun for the journos as we cycle through the car. He was saying, you know, it's it's a it feels a step up from your normal hot road car. It's more like a race car. And certainly I was drove the C sixty three SANG at Sandown a few weeks ago. And this car is a is a step on from that. So but it completely irrelevant, obviously, in terms of everyday buying from a price and not being able to drive it on the road perspective. But the one thing is if SVA can take these elements and distill them down into something like a $150,000 package to take on C63 S and M3 and obviously lose a lot of the stuff that this car has, the bespoke stuff, the steering knuckles and trick stuff like that. If they could retain what this car has, I'd love to drive it because I think it would be a bona fide competitor for them. Yeah. Anyway, but the price, is, the price is the thing I struggle with. I mean, you can get... You get an awfully yeah. quick Mercedes E63 AMG for, for, you know, not quite half that, but not much above that. And yeah. um, and you can drive that on the road. And, you know, okay, it hasn't got quite that race car feeling, but it's going to do 80 or 90% of it, surely. Yeah, I, would, I don't know if it'll do 80 or 90. It'll, um, it'll, it would be, at, yeah. Look, this thing's really capable. Like, for instance, you could take it and run. It's got adjustable suspension and aero and all this stuff. You could take and run it in Targa. But okay, that's, what is and the, that's what Jaguar should what, do. They should take this car, run it in something like Tiger with a good driver running it, and use it as a mobile um, billboard. Billboard. Yeah. What does a um, Porsche Carrera Cup car cost? Because I'm guessing you could probably get into one for less than that or around that. 
Yeah, I presume it's that sort of money. I, I wouldn't know. I couldn't quote you. But, yeah, it's just a – look, they haven't had anyone order one. I doubt if they will. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of the product standing alone and driving, it, it's a terrific thing. Mm. Um, but it just shows you, uh, you know, it shows their capabilities and shows how much work they have to do on the basic package to really bring it up. But, hey, you know, good luck to mm. them. And back to uh, back to reality. reality now, Bruce, and you've been in the Holden Equinox LTZ recently. That's right, and and I keep calling it the Captiva, and apologies <laughs> if I do that during this, but effectively it is the Captiva replacement. Yeah, a very different car, um, though, a very different car, thankfully. <laughs> yes, yeah, the old Equinox, she was well past no, her the used by date. By the, time. Used by date. the Equinox is new. <laughs> See, I'm doing it already. I get it completely confused all the time. Anyway, Holden's on this big, we want to be your SUV company drive at the moment. I would assume most people have seen the ads or the billboards or something. It's it's a big deal, and it makes sense because um, SUVs where it's at, and they have a pretty solid range of SUVs now in terms of breadth of range from small to large. Um, and the Equinox, I got it right that time, is the medium SUV, so it sits in that in that category competing against things like CX five and Rav four and things like that. Has no sales presence whatsoever. Mm. It is just it is completely ignored. And that's that's kind of like um, a bit of a pity because it, it deserves to have a little bit more attention than that, I think. In this particular case, driving the LTZ, which is 44,000 drive-away, two-litre turbo petrol engine, all-wheel drive version. Look, it's got all the fundamentals, you know. It's spacious and uh, it's got the safety gear and it's got some interesting little equipment bits and bobs like a thing that advises you to check the rear seat before you get out of the car, things like that. It does, but you know what? There's just... Oh, there's something missing it's Missing here. the X factor. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That, that'll that do. But, like, for instance, you get in the car and you sit there and you look at the dashboard and you go, yeah, that looks pretty stylish. And then you touch it and it's hard as nails. If you hit your elbow on the door, you get a bruise on your – that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. It's, it, that's, 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 that's a bit uh, depressing. Then you go to – if you want to change gears manually – there's this rocker switch on top of the gear lever to do it. They're not paddles. You can't move the gear lever itself. It is something designed by someone who's never driven a car in their life. I just find it completely and utterly, it's cheapo solution. Yeah, there's some silly stuff. There it, it, Absolutely silly stuff like that going on. I'm with you 100% on the interior. If you look at some of the leaders in interior presentation in this class, things like Volkswagen, Tiguan, Mazda CX-5, uh, even Honda CRV these days has, has stepped it up a bit, Subaru Forester, and you get some either really functional or really neat or really cool looking or or high quality feel to it. I get in this Captiva and just think, wow, it just looks underdone. Equinox. It's it's bland, it's dull, and it looks... Equinox. Equinox. <laughs> I get in the Equinox. <laughs> Sorry, mate. And um, and it, yeah, it feels bland and underdone, which which I just think. Uh, from that perspective, it, it lacks showroom appeal in that regard. And I sort of think they've almost focused things a little bit on the wrong things in terms of, look, it's got a cracking engine, obviously, that two-litre turbo, 188 yes. kilowatts. It outpowers everything in that class. I mean, you look at, obviously, Volkswagen Tiguan, they've got the 162 TSI. I mean, it's got more grunt than that. It's got um, uh, it's got a lot of grunt, but uh, I'm not sure everyone will appreciate that. I think they'd maybe appreciate more effort put into things like the interior. Yeah, it's been localised, the driving experience, which is pretty good. It's just a bit noisy and, and just a bit rough around the edges. It, it, it feels, this is a car that feels just not quite finished. Another 10% here and there, and they'd have a much more impressive showroom product. But here's another thing, Bruce. We're sadly getting confused between Equinox and Captiva. I know Captiva had a 
pretty average name back in the day. But um, in terms of being on people's radar, do you think they should have kept that Captiva name with the new one? Wow, I just think that was just so damaged. Like, you go on any forum and read about Captiva and there's just people on there lamenting that they ever bought the car, which is kind of, you know, which is, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I think they're now putting marketing dollars behind their SUVs and campaigns. So hopefully this name will um, get some cut through. I understand exactly what you're saying. It creates a lot of Costs a lot of money to create a new name in the market, but I think Captiva was pretty mortally wounded. <laughs> gone, dead. Oh, well. Now, speaking of gone, that's um, probably it for us, us for another week for the Motor Show. But we will be back. Don't worry about that. We hope you enjoyed yep. it all. If you did, hit us with the five stars, and um, we'll chat to you next week. Yeah, good on your times. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Cool.